This podcast is brought to you by BMJ Best Practice. BMJ Best Practice offers evidence-based, continually updated and practical knowledge that will help you make better clinical decisions. Hello and welcome to this week's BMJ Best Practice podcast on COVID-19. Kieran Walsh is my name. I'm Clinical Director at BMJ. In this week's podcast, we're going to focus on some important issues related to management of the disease, management of associated conditions, and also vaccination. To tell us how the guidelines can help with these issues, we have on the line Dr. Abigail Davis, Section Editor and GP, and Emma Scott, Section Editor, who both work on BMJ Best Practice and BMJ Learning. So to start with Emma and vaccinations. Emma, various agencies have been reviewing the safety of the Oxford AstraZeneca vaccine. Can you update us on this? Uh, Yes. In early March, use of the Oxford-AstraZeneca vaccine was suspended in a number of European countries following reports of blood clots. Um, The European Medicine Agency's Safety Committee did a preliminary review on the 18th of March and another review on the 7th of April. The finding on the 18th of March was that there was no association with an overall increased risk of blood clots. However, on the 7th of April, as more evidence has become available, the committee concluded that there was a possible causal link between the Oxford-AstraZeneca vaccine and rare cases of blood clots with low platelets thrombocytopenia. And this has now been added to the product information as a possible very rare side effect. The EMA does continue to stress that the benefits of the vaccine in combating COVID-19, which can also result in blood clotting problems and be fatal, outweigh the risks of side effects and that people should continue to take up the vaccine when they're offered it. Okay. Thank you. And can you tell us more about the blood clots? Yes, uh, the blood clots um, occurred in veins in the brain, so cerebral venous sinus thrombosis and the abdomen, uh, splanchnic vein thrombosis, and in arteries and occurred with low levels of platelets and sometimes bleeding. Um, As of the 4th of April, around 34 million people had been vaccinated and of these, 169 cases of cerebral venous sinus thrombosis and 53 cases of splanchnic vein thrombosis had been reported. Most of the reported cases were in women younger than 60 and occurred within two weeks of vaccination. However, with the currently available evidence, the EMA Safety Committee haven't been able to identify any specific risk factors and the EMA haven't advised any specific measures based on age or gender. They did suggest that a possible explanation for the clots occurring with low platelets is that an immune response is being triggered, leading to a condition similar to heparin-induced thrombocytopenia. Okay, thank you. And and in, in sum, I wonder what do patients and healthcare professionals need to know? The chance of a blood clot developing after vaccination is very low um, and the EMA continue to recommend that the benefits of the vaccine outweigh the risks. But they have also advised that patients and healthcare professionals should be aware of the rare possibility of these side effects and be alert to their signs and symptoms so they can be quickly identified and treated. Patients should seek uh, immediate medical attention and inform healthcare professionals of recent vaccination if they develop symptoms of blood clots such as shortness of breath, chest pain, leg swelling, um, persistent abdominal pain. 
neurological symptoms such as severe persistent headache, uh, blurred vision or blood spots under the skin beyond the site of vaccination after a few days. Side effects should continue to be reported through local reporting systems such as the yellow card in the UK and the evidence is going to continue to be closely monitored. Okay, thank you. And last word to the UK regulator, the MHRA, what have they said? Yes, they also issued updated advice on the 7th of April. They concluded that the evidence of a link between the AstraZeneca vaccine and rare blood clots was getting stronger, but that more work was needed. The MHRA hasn't recommended any age restrictions for the use of the AstraZeneca vaccine. But the Joint Committee on Vaccination and Immunisation in the UK has advised that it's preferable for adults under 30 uh, without underlying health conditions that put them at a higher risk of severe disease. They should be offered an alternative vaccine if available. And the World Health Organisation has also released a statement saying that its Vaccine Safety Committee has reviewed reports and based on current information, they say a causal relationship is considered plausible but isn't confirmed and specialist studies are needed. Okay, thanks, Emma. That's that's really helpful. Let's move on to Abigail and, um, and, and guidelines related to the condition itself. Uh, Abigail, NICE have updated their COVID guidelines and, and there's a lot to the new version of the guidelines. And so we're not going to deal with all of them. Uh, and just to pick on a few issues, COVID and acute kidney injury. I, I wonder what does the guideline have to say about that? So the updated guideline highlights that acute kidney injury, AKI, can be caused by multiple mechanisms, um, including volume depletion, direct tubular injury from the viral infection and thrombotic vascular processes. Um, And it also flags that fever and an increased respiratory rate can increase insensible fluid losses, so putting somebody at risk of volume depletion. And we know that developing AKI, if you have COVID-19, is associated with an increased risk of in-hospital death. So it's managed in the same way as acute kidney injury from any other cause. So medications that can cause or worsen AKI should be stopped unless absolutely essential. And intravenous fluids should be given judiciously to maintain euvolemia. And the choice of fluid is guided by the patient's biochemistry. Okay, thank you. That's really helpful. And to move on to another subject, uh, venous thromboembolism um, prophylaxis. I wonder what do the guidelines say about COVID and uh, such prophylaxis at present? NICE advise that people who are admitted to hospital with COVID-19 need to have a bleeding risk assessment. And that's because patients with COVID-19 have a higher risk of venous thromboembolism. So the aim of the assessment is to identify those patients um, in whom there's a contraindication to anticoagulation because of the high bleeding risk. And so adults who are likely to be in hospital for more than three days and who require supplemental oxygen, but not high flow oxygen or any other respiratory support, should receive a treatment dose of low molecular weight heparin. And NICE made that recommendation because of results from three randomised controlled trials. And they showed that for patients with moderate COVID-19, there's a lower risk of death and of needing intensive care with a treatment dose 
than a standard prophylactic dose of low molecular weight heparin without a notable increase in major bleeding. However, there's no evidence of benefit from treatment dose low molecular weight heparin in patients with severe COVID-19. So if the patient becomes more unwell and starts to need high flow oxygen, CPAP, non-invasive ventilation or mechanical ventilation, then the dose of low molecular weight heparin should be reviewed and it will probably need to be reduced to an intermediate or a standard prophylactic dose. Dose adjustments might also be needed for people with renal impairment or at extremes of body weight. It might happen that patients are admitted to hospital and they are already taking anticoagulation for a different indication. Um, In that case, they should continue their current treatment dose of that anticoagulant unless it's contraindicated by a change in the clinical circumstances. If the patient is deteriorating and they aren't already taking a low molecular weight heparin, clinicians can consider switching their anticoagulation to a low molecular weight heparin. Thanks, Abby. And also the recommendations on the management of secondary bacterial pneumonia have also been updated. Can you tell us about these? Yes, the previous guideline included some information on how to distinguish clinically between bacterial pneumonia and COVID pneumonia, and also some specific antibiotic recommendations. And neither of those recommendations appear in the new guideline. In the updated version, antibiotic treatment is recommended for patients with suspected or confirmed secondary bacterial pneumonia, whether they're in the community or in hospital. And the choice of antibiotic now depends on local resistance data and availability. Five days of antibiotic treatment is sufficient for most patients, and patients need to be reassessed if they do not improve as expected, or if their symptoms become rapidly or significantly worse. And specialist advice will be needed if the person's condition doesn't improve after 48 to 72 hours of antibiotics and there's clinical evidence of infection, or if an infection with a multi-drug resistant bacteria is suspected. Okay, thank you very much, Abby and Emma. And thanks to you all for listening. We hope that this has been helpful and we hope you'll be able to put what you've learned into action to better diagnose and manage affected patients. If you want to find out more, click the link in the podcast to sign into BMJ Best Practice and have a look at the content on this and other relevant diseases. Thank you once again.